0: You saying what it means to be a disciple reminds me that I forgot to tell my favorite joke about why I left the United Methodist Church. Yeah. Why did you
1: leave the United Methodist Church,
0: David? They asked me in the ordination process whether I knew what the mission of the United Methodist Church was. And I said, that's to make disciples of Christ for the transformation of the world. So now I'm a disciple of Christ.
2: Woo! Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it worked. <laughs> I've been reading the servantly
2: director, Reverend Deacon Elder. What the hell? A so I take it you didn't come up with a minute idea and the two <laughs> way. No.
1: Uh the only thing I can think of is uh uh Joe, you can bash Moltmon and David can defend Moltmon. Oh, fun. Okay.
2: Oh, yeah, let's have a Moltmann off.
1: Oh, I had no um, idea that this was like, okay, great.
0: I should have brushed up.
2: <laughs> so let me start off by saying that, like, Jürgen Moltmann is a very smart man who's trying very hard, and I, I don't hate him. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so my, my pet peeve with Moltmann is that He is often not saying anything that, like, a church father eons ago hasn't already said. You know, like, you could go read Gregory of Nyssa and get the same type of stuff that you would get out of moltmann but it's it's kind of presented as if oh this person has discovered all of the things um especially like oh, at wesley when we i took systematics from dr young and he we run a bunch of different people but he would use moltmann as a like here's a systematic theology and we're gonna follow how moltmann thinks uh, which I don't know that everybody got that, that was the process, because a lot of people just thought that Moltmann was systematic theology. And,
0: and because <laughs> Josiah Young sometimes doesn't fully explain his thought process to you. That's like, We once watched a video of Mahalia Jackson singing, uh, he's got the whole world in his hand in Josiah Young's systematic theology class. And mm-hmm. then at the end, Josiah Young was like, that's what I've been talking about this whole class. And I was like, I have not understood. I have failed to understand what the topic of conversation has been. Great video. I did not make the connection between.
2: And like, who knows, right? Every once in a while, yeah, Dr. Young would pull out something and it would, I would be like, why are we talking about this? Yeah. One time he was going to show Night and Fog. Did you ever see? It's a, so we watched it in our Bonhoeffer class because it's, okay. it's a video of the Holocaust, not video, it's a movie of the Holocaust. It's a French documentary very shortly after the Holocaust. And they are um, using a lot of very graphic and very emotionally dense footage. Uh, and it's got, it's in French, so it's got like subtitles. So like, not only are you feeling all the feelings, but you have to read. Oh, um and so, anyway, we watched that in class, and we had these, like, reflection papers that we had to do. Um, and while Ian was writing his final paper in the library right before our last class, uh, I was writing my final reflection paper for this week because I just hadn't done it. Like, they weren't really due whenever. Like, it was just to get them in.
1: Because and Josiah so, Young doesn't really have, believe in deadlines. Which yeah. I love
2: about him, Yeah. 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 Um, But I for that week in class I was like honestly I did the reading like and and I in other places I've talked about like Bonhoeffer's ethics and what he said but like all I can think of from that week is that movie and that movie really fucked me up so I don't have a I don't have a reflection for you and like it's Dr. Young I knew I could get away with it so I put that in a paper I sent it in. And then in Systematics, the next year, uh, he's like, well, you know, I used to show the, the Night and Fog documentary, <laughs> but Miss Schoenwolf said that it really, it effed her up, so we can't do it. And I was like, it, Young, know, you can just tell people that I cussed in a paper. <laughs> so anyway, he, he, he's that kind of person.
0: <laughs> he deeply skewed, this is actually turning into more like Josiah Young than, than Moltmann, which is maybe better, but he... Uh, <laughs> he once just totally skewered me in class it was the end of a co-taught class him and Sathi, and they were it was a mlk and gandhi class and no. dr young's giving this the sort of the sermon at the end of the class that it's like the, we we need to get theology like out of the textbooks it doesn't belong there it belongs in the streets that's where theology is really happening And I, like the asshole I am, raised my hand and I was like, Dr. Young, our credo is due for you next week. Does this mean I don't have to write it? And he looked at me and said, But Dave, because he always called me Dave, but Dave, I was so looking forward to reading your thoughts about (laughs) theology. It was brutal.
2: so much
0: i just sort of like hid under the desk (laughs) should not have said anything
2: because he's just this kind of grandfatherly person too so when he just like shuts you down you're like i've ruined everything what do i do yeah dr young man um gosh i don't know that ian has a dr young story other than the time that he came into our bonhoeffer class and he was like, I didn't grade your paper. They're, they're coming. I just haven't finished them. Um, I was having some vodka while I was grading. And I, I fell asleep at the table and fell, I fell over and bruised a rib. He bruised a rib. <laughs> but it's because he was drinking vodka while reading our paper. <laughs> that is
0: quite a fall. That is quite a fall.
2: <laughs> so that's that's my other Josiah Young story. It's just that like, our papers were that bad and we damaged a rib. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah uh that's that's my dr young story as well since we were that was the class that was the class that we met in
2: which which ian the the delightful person that he was was taking i think the word
1: she's looking for is asshole
2: (laughs) (laughs) you were taking it past fail right yes yeah, so did no readings, did, did nothing the whole semester. Was just there and, like, contribute every once in a while. Wrote his final paper on uh, the poetry of Bonhoeffer and friendship. He wrote a paper on friendship for this class. And then Dr. Young's like, why didn't you submit this for a grade? I would have given you an A. Yeah. Ian. Ian.
1: Ian. <laughs> I'm not even sorry. I graduated.
2: <laughs> well, that's true, that's true. <laughs> Ian's also the one who um, famously wrote a paper on how Jesus must be a sinner in order for sin to be redeemed. And that's uh, the bold theological take that he continues to defend.
1: Yeah, yeah. Josiah, uh, Dr. Young gave me an A on that paper. So Nice. That's therefore, well- therefore, it's gospel truth. Right? I don't think Kendall Solon would have. <laughs> <laughs> I never had him, but that's the sense I have. I think, I think Kendall Solon would have seen it and come and hunt me down.
2: <laughs> Probably. It's just bold moves. So, so why do you, why do you like Moltmann? Since yeah. apparently you were going to defend him.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you might, you, I might know less about Gregory of Nyssa than you do. Um, you know, might be part of it. I, I you know, I, uh, it, it might be absolutely right that he's not, not saying anything particularly novel, um. I think that what I particularly appreciate about Bonhoeffer is this sort of the working out of, like, what if... Moltmann, Malt- right? Really? Oh, wait, what did I say? Bonhoeffer. You, you said Bonhoeffer.
2: Which uh, we're yeah. happy to What like, I
0: but... particularly appreciate about Bonhoeffer is the thing where he was an anti-fascist. So, like, I like that. <laughs> but uh, what I like about Moltmann is that um, uh, he... this This real working out of, like, what if, uh really, at the center of our faith is this uh, this vulnerability of God and this God who cries out from God's own voice about God forsakenness. And like then what does that mean? Like, how is that not just like a powerful statement, but a thing that actually works it itself out through then the whole kind of sinews of of a Christian theology. And it has, I think, these really interesting, um kind of impacts beyond even just like that sort of rethinking of atonement. Uh, for example, in Church of the, the church and the Power of the Spirit, he talks about how, if we really believe that the church is in the power of the spirit, so that the church is something that is brought about by the spirit, then the Church doesn't have to be jealous of other manifestations of the spirit that it sees, right because yeah. we understand ourselves as being a part of the work of the Spirit of the world, not as sort of kind of the uh, the fortress within which the Spirit operates. Um, which I just like that the the implications of that for so many of our like pastoral congregation conversations that sort of assume that like the church has to be like the thing, right. When, right. Uh, in fact, there's all these manifestations uh, of the spirit that we ought not to be jealous by. We ought to, in fact, be looking to them as the leadership of the spirit um, kind of leaning us on So, yeah, I don't know. Um, that might not be like super original, um, but um yeah, I think I, I, I really appreciate that. So here's what I said. I, I don't know. I will not pretend to have read Church Dogmatics, okay? So I'm not going to pretend <laughs> to be a Karl <laughs> Barth expert. Right. But a lot of my experiences with people who have been influenced by Barth as kind of their primary Protestant guy who pretends he's not a systematic theologian, even though he wrote a multi-volume work called Dogmatics. What the? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like the the kind of the primary category for thinking about God is like God is holy and above, right? Holy and sort of like beyond us. And there's a there's a, a closeness about Moltmann's understanding mm-hmm. of God um, that if we're gonna read German Austrian theologians, right. he and Dorothy Soleil, I think I would I would much rather we uh spend our time with Moltmann and Soleil than with Bart personally um yeah there we go yeah. there's a uh, I took a crack at it it's been I'm a bit dusty on it but it's, no
2: <laughs> that was good that's good I uh Bart's an easy punching bag too that, that sorry yeah. that's not very demeaning I <laughs> <demeaned> <laughs> <that way. laughs> but like I Bart gets so overdone like I think about this Ethan said this to me in the in the library, Wesley, my first year, many years ago, uh, that like Augustine is overdone. And if Augustine weren't like the church father that influences all of our theology, then you would find Augustine and be like, look at this interesting way this person describes God, like it would be. It would be fun but because uh it's all augustine all the time all we do is pick him apart and i think the same there's a phenomenon with bart like that where bart was like the giant that you must engage with yeah but if he wasn't i think there are some ways that bart talks about uh, how we engage with truth that's like it can be really powerful
0: yeah but yeah.
2: we do a lot of bart and that's not needed <laughs> for sure
0: yeah yeah, I think I think for me, probably the function that a lot like Moltmann and some I've mentioned Soleil and like there's there's some other theologians too that I would name in this group is like I I might be too dumb for process theology. Like I just I can't <laughs> I don't understand what people are talking about most of the time. I feel when that. process is is the way we we're, we're responding to or getting around some of the kind of the sticky sticky wickets in Christian theology and so I really appreciate um, from a biblical scholarship point like Fretheim is in this camp um, but like people who are trying to get us away from this sort of neoplatonic, like God, the omniscient God, the uh, omnipotent uh, God, the impassable right thing, but who are doing it in a way that like still makes sense to me in the language of Christian faith. Um, and like, doesn't again, I might just not be smart enough, but like, doesn't require me to learn this whole other language. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that like, uh, I that that like uh, I'm not sure I ever understand it, and for sure, uh, folks sitting in the your average pew on a Sunday are are not gonna easily get their heads around that, right? So how do we how do we do the work within the um, how do we take the language that we know and make make it richer and deeper? Um, Barbara Brown Taylor speaking of sin, like great mm-hmm. example I think of this. I'm, these people are not necessarily like the same theologically, right but like right. I think I really I am drawn to and find helpful that kind of work a lot, I guess I'd say.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that's, that's one Barbara Brown Taylor was somebody that I found in seminary and was like, you know, if I could preach like this, I'm, I'm doing something right. You know, yeah, like yeah. that it's, you're, you're explaining something and making something accessible rather than trying to like build a whole new thought structure that may or may not actually make sense to other people. Um, and like, I don't know that she would consider herself a theologian at all, but I, like, I found that very clarifying. Yeah. Um, which is it's just funny that it's like oh here's another like little old white lady that I'm paying attention to <laughs> but yeah it was like I can aspire to that I'm never gonna be a person who can make great strides in liberation theology no matter how much I respect it and like yeah. want to live my life by it they're like this this I can do I can I, that's a reasonable goal
1: yeah and I'll say
0: that that's another thing I appreciate about both Moltmann and Soleil is one of the things that they were trying to work out is like, what does it mean to be like a, you know, like a German guy, right, I and mean, encounter liberation theolo- theology? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of white folk out there who want to appropriate liberation theology, right? They want to say like, I am a liberation theologian, right? And it's like, you're you're not. like yeah. <laughs> you're, from you're from Kansas. California. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you grew up in the suburbs <laughs> right. and, and I'm saying me right? Like me, right. And so, so what, what does it look like to, to kind of faithfully to like read James Cone, right. And know that I am not that the congregation that I'm speaking to as a pastor isn't James Cone's context. Right. And so um, I can't just, I mean, to a certain extent, right. Like if I can get my congregation to read "Crossing the Lynching Tree," that would be a huge victory. But it's probably we're probably not going to start there, right? That's probably not going to be. Um, but like, now I need to read it, right? I need to read it and pay attention to it and take it seriously and and be convicted by it, right? But then then I've got a a job to do, right? Uh, that's that's a different job than than Dr. Cohen has to do. Um, which have you ever heard him speak? when he no. was alive. No.
2: I've seen like a video, like one okay. video.
0: Dr. James Cone, like his theology scared the bejesus out of the right white church, but he, he speaks with the prophetic voice of Kermit the Frog. Like his... Yes.
2: <laughs> Dr. Young made a comment as well of like, yeah. his like voice is not like... what you think it's going to be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I, heard, I heard him speak and I was like... That is not what I expected Dr. James Cohen to sound like. That was a surprise.
2: It's a it's the same thing with um, everybody talks about uh, like the great speeches of Abraham Lincoln, but apparently had right. like a really mousy voice. Like <laughs> it just know. wasn't. Anyway, that's my yeah. second Abraham Lincoln story in, in two weeks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're always, always thinking about Abraham Lincoln. <laughs>
2: Did I tell that story in the podcast? I've told it several times in real life. Ian and I were at a, this is unrelated to everything. Ian and I were at a wedding rehearsal dinner and uh, somebody had been telling a story and it got quiet all around, you know, like it does in conversations sometimes in spaces. Um, And the person was like, oh, it got quiet. I must've said something. And I was like, oh no, we're all just thinking of Abraham Lincoln. And like nobody laughed. <laughs> the girl was just like, what? And I was like, is, and I thought this was a universal thing that we all said to one another. Cause like this is a universal thing in North Carolina. Uh, and everybody's like, nope, nope. And I was like, cause we all lost a great president. <laughs> like I just didn't know what to say. So anyway, there you go, everybody. Use it now. Make it, make it common. <laughs> if it gets quiet, we're thinking of Abraham Lincoln. Oh man.
0: Okay. So I'm curious, can you this might not be fair like off the top of your head but like do you have an example of like something moltman says or does that you're like uh like
2: um so i i have not read him since seminary um yeah because because i don't need to um i (laughs) so When I was at Edinburgh, we talked about him in our science and religion program because he does a lot of, like, eco-theology and dealing with, like, how we care for the planet and all that kind of stuff. Right,
0: right. Um,
2: And the way that he talks about creation um, and how, uh, like, how we're supposed to care for creation um, just reminds me of, like the Cappadocians talking about the way that, like, God is in creation and all this kind of uh-huh. stuff. Like, right. it's, um, and, and probably, like, the bee in my bonnet about it is that, like, I once read Maltmon and was like, oh, this is, the, I've discovered something new. Uh, and then took a class, or I think I was even, like, taking church history and, like, did a little bit of a deep dive and was like, oh, the new thing that I thought I discovered was actually just, like, good foundational theology. uh-huh. Um, that's the other thing about the funny thing about Waltmont is that he comes to Christianity later in life. Like he's a convert. And so there's not that, like, he, he doesn't come at it from like, I have been steeped in the traditions, but as a, like, I'm discovering all of this and I'm putting pieces together, which is a great thing. And, and people thinkers should do it. Um, but because he is successful in the way that he's successful, um, And it's not that he doesn't engage with church fathers. Like he will, he will footnote and he's, he is well read. It's just that people, this is, it's probably more, I'm not complaining about Maltmann. I'm complaining about people talking about Maltmann in seminary. Uh (laughs) Uh, People will talk about him like he is the bee's knees. And I will be like, well, there are other people who, who built like who built these systems of thought from the ground up in ways that we're still like using language today. And you've just, you've just completely written them off because here's somebody else who's like saying it. Right. So right. it's also like, but it's the same way that I don't, the reason that I don't engage with a ton of process theology is because people in seminary threw it at me. Like, this is the way we explain things. And yeah. like, I don't care. Like if you're going to be aggressive in my face about it, I'm just going to be like, no. <laughs> so that's why I make fun of Ian a lot. Cause yeah. Ian, Ian likes to, to pretend he's process and yes. then be like, but however you think is fine. And I'm like, I this is not how ugh. anyway.
1: Ian Ian is uh process sympathetic, process curious. <laughs> process curious.
2: <laughs> Ian likes to bake his pie and eat it too in yeah.
1: all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always pie. Well, so like I'm thinking about like how many you can get to certainly you can get to Wesley. Uh but like how many people like in the pews can say, ah, yes, I know who the Cappadocians are. And uh, I know everything that, uh, or I can talk about uh, Gregory, Gregory and and Basil. And I can talk about John Chrysostom and all these church fathers. Like if I were to, if I were to go to like your typical Methodist church, uh, typical Protestant church and like, quote the church fathers i'd be run out for being too catholic
2: well that's a thing but oh, is that yeah, the fault yeah. is that the fault of the church fathers or is that a fault of the way that we've done no christian formation and education and teaching like that's the and that to, to take that argument and apply it to Moltmann. Moltmann does this great thing of making God so vulnerable, but then I don't know, and it might just be because I have not fully read him, but there's no then who is responsible you know like Moltmann is dealing with the horrors of the holocaust with everything in his own past he's trying to like really reconcile the 20th century within himself and and he does this this beautiful thing of talking about like the pain that god feels but then there's not like where do we lay that responsibility who like in the in, in the time to come when all things when the mountains are lowered and the valleys are raised up what accounting will there be um and I don't, like, the the shifting of the the removal of blame almost from God for, like, the horrors of the world, but then not necessarily completely filtering it out to people. Like, mom misses that responsibility piece for me. <laughs> and it might just be that I need to read exactly where he addresses that, but I haven't seen that from him.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, because what I'm thinking of is, like, one of – things that that does is he talks about eschatology as god kind of calling calling creation forward into being right so that creation Mm is is like the the time is moving backwards in a way right of of like instead of like god instead of the sort of deist understanding right of god created and let go it's like god kind of calling creation forward to the um to the eschaton right and one of the one of the kind of implications of that, right, is is uh, unlike some theologians, he'll say like we have the sense that like death is an injustice, right? That, like mm-hmm. like death death is here and it shouldn't be, right? Um, which I think is is interesting. It's interesting to there are times I agree with that and there are times I don't. Right? There are times where mm-hmm. um, I I kind of I grapple with that. But yeah, I mean, I think. Um, Yeah. You know, the, um, gosh, the, you know, the, the question of like, whose feet do we lay, uh, the blame at, I think is a powerful one. You know, I think that's, uh, that's kind of a really generative question, I think, right. For the, for the tradition to try to grapple with. Um, do we just say, um, it's, you know, humans and if so, what are the implications of that? Right. Um, it's, uh, and, and I think, like, for me, anyway, there is a sense in which, like, there needs to be, we need to have some accounting for a deeper brokenness um, mm-hmm. than, than that, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a there's a kind of famous exchange between Maltman and I think it's Carl Rayner, where um, basically Rayner says, like, your God is just down in the muck with me. Which, like, sounds nice, but I actually want to get out of the muck. Mm. Uh, And so I think, like, in that tension, right, there's something really interesting going on. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's a – I had not heard that before, but I think that is – that's also part of it. And and I'm not uh, a a very chipper person. (laughs) I mean, I I can be, but, like – we were talking last week about uh, Miguel de la Torre and he has this like theology of hopelessness of like, like kind of counter to Moltmann of uh, like this idea of like hope is not going to be what gets us to where we need it to be. And it's more challenging that like U S imperial way that we use hope of like, uh, well, you know, if you have the right spirit, we're just going to be able to go forward. Um, But, but I think like that is the, there's (sighs) it's so hard to find that balance between um, acknowledging the terribleness of this world and like really being willing to engage in the, in the hurt of this world, but also being able to move out of it.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And I like, that's something that I, like, I spent three years at Wesley trying to figure out how we do that, what we, because there's so much of, of what you do in seminary is taking apart your theology but Wesley never gave us that chance to like build it back together and like make sense of things. And I, like, I continue to be in that place of like, well, I know how to take this apart. Like I know how to challenge everything, but finding that place that moves from here I am in the depths to here I am over here as a functional contributing human being. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I, and that's what I struggle with a lot.
0: Yeah. That's, it's fascinating. The, so the um I've always been that, that, the that hopelessness thing from De La Torre is interesting because the, the it would be interesting to hear a conversation between him and some of the Palestinian liberation theologians. yeah. Uh, because the contrast they talk about is between hope and optimism. So yeah. like you know when I was when I was there when I was living there there was some I was the Annapolis summit that was going to solve the Middle East conflict. Right? <laughs> and the Palestinians were like, it's not. <laughs> right um but they would say like that would be the it would be like false optimism to think like oh we can just fix this but hope is the thing that like gets us up and like still trying to take our kids to school and still trying to go to work and still trying to change this thing even though there is there is no seeming human way in front of us um that this is going to change because the power there's just too much power arrayed right against us right And so for, so I think like using different language, right. But saying some similar things in terms of like hope as a uh, hope as kind of a panacea is going to fail us. But I think that that's not the hope that our Christian traditions point us to. Um, It points us to a very much more upside down hope than that, a very different kind of, of thing than that. Now, of course, who not, maybe I'm just kind of comforting myself, right? Psychologically, <laughs> yeah. you know? But, um, and, and maybe, um, you know, I'm, I'm as somebody who has a lot of societal and institutional power, maybe it's easy for me, kind of easy for me to say that. But I do, I do actually think that like my experience with people in um, some truly awful situations has not necessarily been that they've been like, there's no point in hoping. Um, right. that they do in fact find um some source of strength and hope and faith to be able to keep going um because otherwise like a lot of people would just stop right um and a lot of people do right um yeah. but certainly in my own life right i've come up against that possibility for myself right of like i could just uh um, not exist um and there's an there's an element of grace and miracle and and the fact that I'm still here seeing things um, sorry this was supposed to be lighter Man,
2: <laughs> you got... well this is what we do all the time um, <laughs> gotta yeah. find the dark <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I was just uh, uh, just wrote a little something the other day and I'd seen this comic um, that talked about the kind of the four secret words um, of somebody who's um, you know, I think experienced sort of suicidal ideation, being uh, you know, I almost missed this, right? like I almost didn't see this mm. in front of me. Whatever that is, my my child, you know, beautiful sunset, you know, <laughs> whatever that is. Um. Uh, and I I do think kind of a rich theology of creation that says like this is good, <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. is a is actually there's a way that that gets interpreted that can be the systems of this world are created by God and thus you cannot challenge them. Right. And that we need to deconstruct that. And, but like what we then put back together is a much, I think, deeper rich uh, theology of creation uh, Yeah. as opposed to just sort of like doing away with the whole thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's really true. I think that, um, yeah, it's uh, and there's a reason why we're all still struggling with like how to how to articulate and put all these pieces back together. Is that like over the centuries people have, and we find new problems to new ways to problematize or ways that that thinking hasn't kind of come together for us. And so I feel like each generation comes at it again and says, "Well, this didn't work," and but what is crucial for us? I um yeah yeah yeah. I would be fascinated to read um, something that brings together um, a person who is dealing with like being in a, in a colonized situation and also trying to deal with suicidal ideation and depression. Mm-hmm. Cause mm-hmm. I, I find that a lot of my outs are things that are um, what as I'm like trying to like keep myself together to continue in life. Um, a lot of those rely on um, this kind of mindset of like one day things will be able to be okay. Yeah. But what I find from a lot of people who are struggling against colonialism or imperialism is that like there's not that guarantee that it's going to be better Mm -hmm. and so like where do you where what do you then do like does it become an eschatological hope does it do you put the hope on to like maybe your kids generation is going to have something and and i'm sure something like that is out there but just like seeing somebody piece that through i would love to dig into that as an expansion of the conversation that we're already having but yeah yeah
0: right yeah yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think of, uh, well, here we go. Now I'll say to process theologian for you and uh, we'll kind of come full circle. But, um, you know, at least in the in the American context, um, Monica Coleman uh, mm. is a theologian who's doing work at the intersection of womanist theology, process theology, and her own experience of, she also has bipolar disorder. Um, <clears throat> and uh, hearing her work through uh some of that um and the sort of like the impacts of generational trauma then on that conversation and um that i think i mean that's that's someone who i think of who's who's doing um some some of the work there um
2: her book is bipolar faith
0: bipolar faith is her kind of memoir um but she has a book called uh, Making a Way Out of No Way. That's uh, her kind of more systematic theology um, work. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that there's, uh, gosh, there's like layers and layers and layers here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think what's interesting about the question is we have, what we turn to in our biblical texts is an example of a community that was in a colonized situation that was called into be, that community was called into being by the eschatological hope and like is constantly negotiating what it means to be that community uh, in the already not yet. Right. Right. Like in that, that, that sense of like, we are a community that exists as a community because we have hope in a thing that is not, this thing right here right um and um it's within the context of that community that we can um experience the consolation of god who consoles us so that we may console others for example right mm-hmm. um, not because uh not necessarily because everything is just going to be okay in any sort of you know like uh, predictable time frame but um you know, I'd say in a different a different way of saying this, right? When I was in the hospital for kind of the longer term period that I was in the hospital for several months, I was in with a lot of folks who were there because of uh, both a uh, mental illness diagnosis and uh, substance abuse and drug addiction, and they would say stuff like, "You know, you don't have to you don't have to deal with this for your whole life. Like, you just have to deal with it today." <laughs>
1: you
0: know, uh, which is a pretty which would probably I, maybe if I had heard that in a different context, it would come off as a bit like, um, like I don't know, empty or inspirational. But like these were people who had, uh, who lived that, right? They lived. Uh, I I don't have to be sober for the rest of my life. I just gotta make it through this hour, right? Um, right. And I, so I think that that something like that, I think, right, is what it looks like, and is what it's. it's we're we're pointing
2: to yeah yeah i find that to be really helpful as somebody who like most of my spirals happen because i'm thinking about the future and Mm. i cannot even begin to think about the future a lot of the time um being able to be like you know like this getting through this hour is enough getting through this day is enough and then we wake up tomorrow and we get through that day yeah
0: yeah yeah
2: it, it does have the the feeling of like this could be embroidered on a pillow somewhere but like right. when you hear it with the actual situation
1: yeah that's
2: powerful well, this was a great conversation. We'll have to have you back when uh, when we want to discuss Moltmon again. But uh, yeah. Ian, will you sign <laughs> us off? Uh,
1: yes, yes. Friends, this has been a mini of What the Hell's a Pastor. Uh, we are the dude, John Westley and Jürgen Moltstan. And we will see you next time.
2: What the Hell is a Pastor? is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schumwolf performed by Joe Schoenwolf, Ian Oriola, and Paul Oriola, and produced by Paul Oriola. Email us at wtheckisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disciples, On Twitter at wthisapastor. And on Patreon at patreon.com slash wthiap, where you can get access to Pillow Talk, signed cards, episode suggestions, and some other things. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan owes me all the money in his wallet.